and welcome once again to A Novel Evening. I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as at A Novel Evening Podcast and the same on TikTok. Hello. Welcome. My apologies yet again at the time of recording. I have still got this awful semi-Yoda voice going on. Um, maybe a little sexy, maybe a little husky. Definitely not sexy. Um, so my apologies as I'm recording. It's also Christmas is on the horizon. Um, absolutely cannot wait. As you're listening to this, the festive period has probably been and gone, but my God, right now we're in the midst of it. And I cannot wait to hunker down with tonight's guest. I'm surrounded by the Christmas lights and I'm ready to talk to my Mortane. Oh my goodness. Uh, so Nocturna, Occulta and the final in the trilogy Lucero, three books that I cannot wait to discuss. It's fantasy. It's my jam. This is my thing. I have so many questions. I cannot wait to hear what's coming in the latest book. So uh, let's get chatting and find out what she's going to bring for her novel evening. So a massive hello to Maya. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Just waiting for the holidays to hit. Just waiting for all the food. <laughs> oh my goodness. And where are you? Where am I calling you at the moment? Whereabouts are you based? Right now I'm in Texas. Um, oh. I'm plotting a return to New York because um, I was there for like seven years and then I left. But um, so it's completely different energy. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know a great deal, but I imagine very different paces of life, right? <laughs> completely different but a lot easier financially because New York is so yeah. pricey it's so amazing but it's, I'm trying to save to buy a place the the dream of buying a place in New York City so wow. what do yeah. you miss most about New York the food um just like if you want anything you could you could just be like oh I think I want Himalayan tonight and there'll <laughs> be like 20 options and I miss walking. I would walk for miles. I'd always get over 20,000 steps a day in New York. So here I bought a walking pad that I put in front of my TV. So when I watch TV, I just walk. So I was watching the Doctor Who Christmas specials, just like walking. Um, I, love <laughs> also, I love Doctor Who. I love that as yeah. the, the walking there. But, you know, I can see that. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I do love because I, I feel like there's a huge market in the US for Doctor Who. There is. We, we, and especially with the new Doctor Who being a black man, I'm so excited. And I loved him in, in Sex Education. Oh, that great incredible. Yeah. So there's a huge, I've been watching it since high school. That was when I first knew of it. I feel like in England, you guys should know of it at birth, I suppose. It's but, been around so, so long. For yeah. us, but I feel like it's very like quintessentially British. Very much so. I so. find it interesting that it's translated so well. And we can't do it like we as Americans don't have like a version of that. There's a, there's a specific quirkiness and like the special effects are kind of silly, but we still yep. go with it. Whereas in America, if you made something like that, everybody kind of rolls their eyes and doesn't like see the the joy in it. I don't know why you guys do a really good job. And I love David Tennant and I would probably die for him. So <laughs> I think lots of people feel that way about David. There's something about David Tennant that I feel like globally we feel that way. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I really you must don't. be protected at all costs. <laughs> at all times. At all times. <laughs> and so what brought you to Texas? You know, what's your favorite thing about living in Texas? Favorite thing about living in Texas is that in January, instead of it being deathly cold, it's like 60 degrees. 
Um, that is so, cause I grew up in Maryland and then I moved to New York after college. And those are both Northern, more Northern states yeah. where it's frigid in January, but in Texas, like I can go outside technically with shorts. It's not smart, but I could go outside. And <laughs> like the oh. option is there. Option is there. Um, and the barbecue is really good. Um, and they have some like specific chain restaurants. They have this restaurant called Whataburger, which is oh. like, as in, it sounds so ridiculous, especially saying this to someone British, but it's like, oh, it's such a good burger. What a burger. So it's called Whataburger. <laughs> oh, see, when you said it, I thought it was called Water Burger. And I was That's like, what is like, a Water Burger? Because I feel like it probably sounds weird, but yes, Water Burger is how it's pronounced. Yeah, that makes more sense. I mean, that we've, we've watched, uh, I don't know if this is something that is just for British viewers on Netflix, but we, I watch a lot of Barbecue Showdown. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we will watch that here <laughs> i'm obsessed because like we do barbecues in britain but they're always just a they're a little bit ratchet like when we do barbecue, it's very much like burnt sausages undercooked burgers it's never really that hot when we have a barbecue it's kind of like it just it only needs to be like slightly warm it'll be like barbecue but when you like the ones I'm watching now, I'm like, this is insane. You take it very seriously. It's it's a cultural thing. And like there's battles between like, oh, Texas barbecue versus Kansas barbecue versus North Carolina barbecue. And it's just like a whole thing. Instant whereas here it's just based the competition is not to give people food poisoning because we <laughs> undercook. We either overcook it so it's like charcoal, or we undercook it so we're like, well, it's probably still raw. But like some of the stuff, and it's like the size of the steaks. I didn't know cows were that big. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where they get those, to be honest. Like I've, <laughs> I've been to some barbecue, because I'm not a Texan born and raised, so I definitely was surprised by the magnitude of like, I'd order like a set of ribs at a restaurant. It would be like a giant like keyboard of ribs, like a grand piano of ribs. You're just like, how are there this many? Um, but it's it's very like it's very strange. I do not know where these cows are, what where they come from, or what they've been fed, but they are not normal cows. <laughs> no. If I came to the States, I feel like all I want to do is a food tour. I just want to go around and eat. That's what makes the most sense. Like, especially like New York, it's what I miss the most is that yeah. everything's there. There's so many immigrant communities, so everything is as authentic as you can get it, um, at least in the States. So yeah. I miss that the most because I could tell you that the Asian food scene in Texas was not great. <laughs> and I missed it really badly. Oh, uh, I bet. I bet. And also, I feel like you guys, you have Thanksgiving, obviously. We don't celebrate that here, but you guys really do Christmas in America hmm. as well. I feel like we do it in our own British way. We have a very traditional Christmas dinner. We have like gross things like Christmas pudding. You guys wear crowns, right? we do, so we have crackers do you guys have crackers that you pull at the table okay that so we I have thought, crackers. I literally thought that was a harry potter thing because that was the first time i saw it um i was like that's magic thing <laughs> yeah you pull your cracker you get yeah. your little paper crown and then there's usually some kind of really crap gift in there or like <laughs> nail clippers or like a ruler or something just awful that you're never going to use ever again that's our tradition hmm and like pigs in blankets that's our other thing I don't know if you guys have that with your Christmas dinner no <laughs> not really is it sausages little sausages wrapped in bacon because it's not enough meat we're like we need to add more and yeah. your puddings that's important it's definitely different because like like my family is it wasn't born in the states like I was but like 
So like we do Christmas differently than like Americans do. And like, there's so many different ways that people do it here. Um, what's your, what's your traditional Christmas look like? So in most Latin countries, the big dinner is on the 24th instead of the 25th. We do like the giant dinner and the star of the show is always this, the star of the show is always this big pork shoulder. Um, the Dominican pork shoulder is really, really good. Um, and rice and beans and the plantains and all sorts of stuff like that. Very like Caribbean, like even for Thanksgiving, we don't care that much about the turkey. It's the pork shoulder that matters. <laughs> but we do it because we're supposed to. Um, and then on the 25th, you open gifts and then that's it. And usually we go to a movie that day because everybody else uh-huh. is at home. Everybody else is at home during their Christmas dinner. So we go see a movie or go do something. So yeah. Oh yeah, our cinemas are not open on Christmas Day. All right. Because you guys go hard for boxer boxing day. <laughs> boxer day. Uh boxing day. Is that not a thing in the States either? Boxing day? No, we don't have that. <laughs> uh, so boxing day is basically like the day after Christmas. It's probably as big a deal because you've got all your leftovers. So we would make things like bubble and squeak you would make with your leftover vegetables. So you kind of are like taking your leftover Christmas veg, you kind of mash it up and fry it. As I say, I'm like, oh, why do we do that? And you'll like eat your leftovers, like cooked ham and your cooked turkey. And and usually like if you have Christmas at home on your own as a family, you would then see your family on Boxing Day. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, we don't have that. Doesn't everything close? Like nothing is open? Pretty much. Yeah, it's, like it's Catholic. very rare to find a shop open, especially on Christmas Day. We're too capitalist for that. It's, it's always <laughs> weirdly think... like we're weirdly like religious in that sense. We're like, ooh, Christmas Day or Easter Sunday. We don't we don't open on those days. <laughs> it's very odd. We're very like puritanical like that. Or they might open for like two hours in the morning, but you can't do more than that. Yeah, no, twenty six. Everything is open. <laughs> Well, see, for your Boxing Day, neat segue, because your Boxing Day this year is going to be book release day for book number three, Lucero. I mean, yeah. bold, a bold day as well. <laughs> yeah, it is a bold day. I didn't really think about it. <laughs> now that like, once you're three books in, you're kind of like, I feel like I've seen TikToks where women are like, when I was pregnant with my first baby, I'd be like, it's due on this day at this time, da, da, da. My third baby, I'm like, whenever it comes out, it comes out. And that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, oh, people are like, the day after Christmas, I'm like, whenever it comes out, it comes out. I don't- We love to shop on Boxing Day. That is the one thing. That's when shops are open and people will go for their sales. So Boxing Day here, the day after Christmas, they do open some shops and that's when people seem to just go mad to buy things. So So over here, it's a very savvy choice. People will be in bookshops. Okay, then I am glad. So Boxing Day is like your Black Friday. We also have Black Friday now. Huh. It's very odd. We don't need an excuse. We're like, they're like, yeah, let's use all the excuses to make people buy things. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But that's good to know. I didn't, my friend's husband is British and she just told me that nothing that for like that, that blip of time for Christmas, nothing is open. And she'd be really angry that she couldn't go out and and get like food or anything. Oh my my God. Do you know what? People panic by here. Like it'll be like the day on Christmas Eve, two days, the shops will be shut and people will be like panic buying because they can't buy bread for two days. And I'm like, how much bread do you really need? It's giving toilet paper crisis of 20 every year once a year we basically relive the toilet paper issue because god forbid you can't buy like milk for a day 
Brits are crazy. I'm not, I'm not going to excuse my people. We do really insane things at Christmas, including just panic buying eggs because it's <laughs> shut for two days. But like, how does it feel now? You've reached the end of this journey. You know, you're, you've got your three books. It's a trilogy, right? This is the last book. How does that yeah. feel? It feels good and, and strange because I got this book deal. I was an editorial assistant. So I was working my nine to five and then I was writing at night. Um, from like six to midnight to try <laughs> to try to get like I lived next to a cafe, a very like known cafe near near Columbia University that's open till midnight. It's called the Hungarian Pastry Shop. If you ever in New York, they make great great pastries and like a midnight. <laughs> yeah, so I'd be there until midnight every night, and I'd go home and wake up for work and keep doing that. And I was twenty three, uh, and I was twenty four when I got the book deal. And now I, I turned 32 in February. So like when That's I think- a big of, chunk of your life. Yeah, it's like a nearly a decade of my life is in these pages. So it's very, it's very odd and humbling yeah. and just weird. <laughs> it's weird that it's done when it's something I've been working on for so long, um, but it's satisfying. And, and it's the book, It's it ended- um, like basically when I, when my editor and I started working on the book, I sent her a draft of the epilogue to book three. And I said, this is how I imagine things ending just so you know, and that epilogue stayed largely the same. So wow. the four-year-old Maya had a good idea of how things were going to go. And we, we got there in the end. So yeah. That's wicked. So let's, for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the books, let's rewind back to book one. Tell us about Nocturna. Give us kind of the the lowdown on book one and the world that you built. Okay, so Nocturna is in, well, number one, I'm I'm Dominican. My my family comes from the Dominican Republic. So I I always wanted to write something magical that included like my culture. Obviously, yeah. the stuff I grew up on was mostly a lot of British stuff and a yep. lot of <laughs> mostly white characters. And I really wanted to do something different. So I created this. Latino magical kingdom um, where the language of magic is Spanish. Um, I did that because growing up here, it was considered to some degree incorrect to not speak English. And yeah. like, I think a lot of um, kids who grew up in Spanish speaking households were taught to some degree that that was something they should be on some level ashamed of. So I wanted to create a series where connecting to your culture, connecting to your ancestry and your language was a form of magic in and of itself. So that was kind of like the base of what I wanted to do, but I wanted it to be fun. Um, <laughs> so that sounds serious, but it's not that serious. Basically it's a magical kingdom and there is a prince named Alfie um, and he is a reluctant prince, which is my favorite trope. Like yep. I, love a, I love a handsome, I love a handsome, confident prince, but I feel more connected to the ones who, who are scared because I would be scared. <laughs> yep. Um, whose older brother has died and he never thought he'd be the one to take the throne and now he is and he's very afraid of what's to come and is still trying to find ways to kind of bring his brother back um, and then at the same time there's a thief named Finn who has the ability to change her face at will um, Which I love, I love yeah. that idea I love I love coming up with powers and abilities based on like the characters insecurities and things yeah but basically she's a thief who's on the run from an abusive father figure 
Um, and of course, somehow their paths cross and the two of them accidentally release this like old, dark, ancient magic villain. And then they have to race against the clock to try to stop him from taking over the world. Um, yeah. And there's like a little romance along the way between the two of them because I love I love the the opposites attract. This makes no sense. But here we are. Yeah. Energy romance. And um, I wanted to think of it as like a reverse Aladdin because I love the trope of the thief and the royal or like the rogue and the royal, I suppose. But usually the rogue is a guy and yep. usually the, girl the princess is, and the pauper. Yeah. 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 Usually it's the girl who's the sheltered royal. And I wanted to switch that and make him more of like the sensitive cinnamon role who's very academically inclined and make her the rogue who's rough around the edges, difficult past, that kind of fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's that's Nocturna. That's how that's the base of the series nice we don't we don't want to give anything away because people haven't read it absolutely should and need to follow those twists and turns i guess my main question for the newest book is will fans of books one and two be satisfied i think so um <laughs> so i can't say why but... uh, you're like but trust me you will be trust me um there's so much the characters go through so much growth through books one and two, and you really get to see the fruition of that in, in book three. Um, <laughs> I keep on like wanting to say something, but not um, all the characters. Like people really love Luca and he gets a lot more. Who is a, he's a side character who is Alfie's cousin slash they're, they're pretty much brothers. He gets a lot more perspective in, nice. in book three, a lot more space. Um, and there's more exploration of Finn and Alfie's dynamic romantically um in book three for sure um and I close every loop that you're wondering about so <laughs> that's what we need to know that's <laughs> that's the main thing <laughs> yeah <Loops are> closed <laughs> are closed everything is good well not I don't know if everything's good but everything is done and you'll you'll have the answers to whatever questions that you have and I was going to ask, I don't obviously know a great deal about kind of Dominican folklore or Dominican culture or how much of that did you draw upon to feed into the book, would you say? I tried my best to find as much as I could. It's upsetting to say that because of the way the indigenous peoples were were wiped out, that it's really difficult to find right. like purely Dominican folklore from before Spanish colonization um, so I found some things and I'm still doing research. And now that I'm not working a full-time job while I write, I can research that for other series. But for this one, I did have to, I did have to use my own imagination a lot, but the Dominican culture of it comes from the setting, the food, the dress, the way they speak Spanish, because like I was even, even within the community of Spanish speaking people in school, I was really discouraged from speaking Dominican dialect because it was considered like less than like oh. get all because the Dominican Republic is a black country essentially yeah or largely African influence because of slave trade so I was told I should only be speaking Spain Spanish and Argentinian Spanish um but the characters in this book speak Dominican dialect of it so mm -hmm. um yeah and things things like there's a there's a certain song that is sung when you have when you get a boo-boo when you get a cut as a kid right um, and in book one, Alfie uses that song to perform healing magic because it's oh. culturally based. So like things like that, I've gotten a lot of a lot of like DMs or like Instagram posts from people saying like I felt really seen at this part because like my mom says that or this and this. 
stuff that's specific um, to Dominican culture. But yeah, unfortunately, while I wish it were easier to find stuff that is purely like indigenous Dominican folklore, it was really, really hard. And I'm actually still doing that and still trying to like reach out to um, professors of mythology from different colleges to try to get that information. Oh. Um, but yeah, basically I had to come up with a lot of the fantasy elements on my right. own, but I did make the characters Dominican, which in and of itself is is pretty new <laughs> in the yeah. fantasy. Yeah. I do feel there's a real, it's a real beautiful renaissance, I think, with fantasy. And as you say, once upon a time, fantasy was very much kind of white older men writing yeah. magic right back to Tolkien through you know some of my all-time favorites are white middle-aged older men writing fantasy and firstly there's an amazing thing like a lot of women are writing incredible fantasy now and I really think women have kind of really come into the fore in fantasy in representation and the way they're writing men and women in fantasy but also I feel like there's a lot more fantasy drawing on other cultures now Asian and you know like you're saying Dominican and all across the world we're seeing fantasy that is steeped in culture and history which I think is incredible yeah no it really is and it's it feels so late because (laughs) it really yeah it really does because it's so interesting to 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 read magic belongs to everyone the concept of magic belongs to everybody and just seeing how different it is when it's touched by different cultures, how sorts of like creatures and different forms of magic come about. It's so much more interesting than sticking to the same thing. Um, It's very exciting for me. I mean, I've always loved fantasy since I was very, very young. But again, my kind of foray into it, if it wasn't kind of Harry Potter, which, you know, has its place, but very much again, white base, British culture, it was kind of Tolkien or it was C.S. Lewis or it was... And it's exciting for me as a parent now because I have a daughter who's seven and mm. he's very into kind of magical books that the pool she's going to have to explore with magic and with history and it's so much deeper now. There's so yeah. much out there YA right through to adults to explore than <laughs> there's ever been, I think. You say it feels very late. I would have loved to have been able to access books like this yeah. when I was younger. No, it's gone from like a kiddie pool to an ocean essentially in the last yeah. like Yeah. De- or two um it's really really come about and I'm really excited for it because it's just so it's also just such a cool way to get people to learn about other cultures indirectly um and it just makes you so much more empathetic to the ideas and struggles of people who don't look like you or don't come from places that you've been to um and I like that it's happening across the board because I don't know if you (laughs) this is off base but like I feel like so many kids I know are watching the cartoon on Netflix now that it's on Netflix Avatar The Last Airbender oh Um, yeah 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 (laughs) it was like this was that felt like such a renaissance too of just like oh like we're all in love with this sort of series that wouldn't have been allowed to be made like mainstream american on nickelodeon like 30 years ago i Um, remember when they made the film of it and it was basically a white cast right they basically did bad i went i was so i wrote literally this will tell you everything you need to know about me i was the opinions editor the op-ed editor of my high school newspaper and I wrote a scathing op-ed about them whitewashing <laughs> the cast of that film but now they're doing the Netflix live action with with indigenous actors and Amazing. Asian actors so like that's also a, an easy point to see how we've shifted yeah uh, where they're like no we can't just we can't just take a clearly Asian influenced show and just make everybody <laughs> we'll um, just put young white boy in there instead it'll be fine it's much fine. more marketable 
it's cool <laughs> but yeah so things things really really have changed and I was gonna ask you as well um in light of the powers that your characters have if you could change your face into somebody for a day who would you be going for probably Zendaya (laughs) (laughs) just to see what it was like (laughs) I would just love to know because also she's not only just stunning stickingly beautiful she also seems really nice I'm like what's it like to just be nice as well and Tom Holland I'll take that for a day yeah little baby (laughs) spider-man Love that for her. Uh, yeah, probably probably her. Maybe Rihanna. Just to be that badass. I don't think I could handle it, though. <laughs> no, no. Too much, too much power. Oh, that's that's fun. I love how you went straight in there, though. You knew. <laughs> Station, which I, I don't have to think that through. You're like, isn't it? Or Rihanna. Oh, my God. Actually, do you know what? Fair. Like, yeah. I'm not even going to say Beyonce because it, that truly would be too much power. Yeah, I don't think I could, that would go to my head. Yeah, I can't experience that and then leave. So (laughs) You do have to be married to Jay-Z and I don't know how I feel about that. Don't love it. I don't love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'd sooner take Tom Holland. I think I could live with that more. Yeah. Or is that Rocky I could also deal with? Jay-Z, I don't don't know. No. (laughs) It's the power thing. I just don't know. I don't know if I could handle Beyonce. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was kind of like maybe one of our royal family here because I'd like to know some of the some of the dirt is true. I'd like just twenty four hours to be like, what stories can I sell after this? What is what is oh, true? No. She would find out it was you, and you'd be blacklisted <laughs> for life. Yeah, too literally, powerful. too powerful. I don't know what power they have anymore, our royal family, but I don't want to know. I don't want to find out. <laughs> it's better not to know and you know you've closed the kind of door on this trilogy the book's been written I know you're taking a little break you're giving yourself a little time over the holidays but you know what comes next for you would you like to revisit this world do you think you'd like to move on to something different I feel like one day I'd, I'd maybe like to revisit this world it's so complicated like I feel like readers just think like oh if you have an idea you can do it but it's a whole thing where like yeah you sold your book to this publisher then if you want to revisit that world it has to go back to that publisher and does that publisher want to do it do you like there's a whole like wow I'm like maybe maybe if the you know if the fates allow um but I would definitely give it I would definitely give it a break like a long break I came back to it um right now I'm working on something adult um yeah I'm working on like a kind of multiverse adjacent kind of story which is why I've decided to take a break because it's very hard <laughs> to wow. write worse work um but I I initially had this idea and then I didn't want to do it because in my mind people only seem to care about multiverse stuff when it was superhero related <laughs> and I was like well I'm not doing that no. and then everything everywhere all at once came out and I was like oh people care about multiverse when it comes to like culture and and first generation immigrant families and like and that film was incredible really was like and I had literally I had no idea what it was about and my cousin was like you need to come see this crazy movie with me and I was like what what is it she was like just come <laughs> so no- weird there were points where I was like what am I yeah. watching <laughs> there was no way to explain it no way to possibly explain it but I was like oh so people are okay with multiverse outside of that like three white spider-men <laughs> realm of multiverse um 
we're not ready what? for Miles Morales in real life form. But no, it, I'm, they are the be- I'm gonna say they are the best Spider Man films, they are those are animated ones. Because that's the they're the best Spider Man ones, period. And also, I think at this point, the best multiverse hero movies, period. Because very cleverly done, so smart and so like, and also just beautiful to watch. The way animation has become like, if you asked me before, I remember one of my friends was like, "Oh, if if Nocturna became." like a show or something it should be animated and I was like no but now because there's this idea that something's not legitimate unless it's live action but honestly I'm seeing so many amazing animated series that that can do things that live action just can't do because the limits of CGI and the budget limits of trying to do that but animated animated work when it comes to fantastical or sci-fi stuff is really taking off and it's also place where a lot of people of color like a lot of stories by people of color with characters of color are really coming out like, I don't know if you've seen if you haven't watched Blue-Eyed Samurai Blue-Eyed Samurai on Netflix so good oh um, check it out but yeah I can't even but it's wait what were we talking about multiverses yes <laughs> <laughs> but we got I, so swept out there and like recommendations yeah. and <laughs> But definitely like what I'm working on is kind of, I don't want to give away too much. And it's still like, I haven't even finished the first draft, but something multiverse related, but that's that's less in the realm of like superheroes and more in the realm of everything everywhere all at once where it's about fam- a family, about, in my case, I want it to be about how trauma goes through the generations. And in this case, also universes. And if, if healing can go through generations, then maybe it can heal other universes too. And just like this kind of, it's hard to explain, but it I just... love the sound. You're explaining it very well. I will say I'm like, I'm with you. I'm following this and I like the sound of it. Yeah. I'm really excited because it's giving me the, the ability to kind of put people of color in story sets. Like I'll say I'm working in three universes right now and one is ours. And the second one is a Western um, where the lead. That's so cool. So, I mean, you've kind of done that as well, you know, with your trilogy, you've taken something that is a very traditional white market, you know, fantasy land and you've spun it. And I think that's, there's so much scope across so many stories and genres to do that. Yeah, no, there is. And there's just so many places that we haven't um, touched yet. Cause one is a Western where they're, where they're both from a, uh, the two leads are from different gangs of bandits robbing the same train. And then um, the other, the third universe is a Victorian ghost story. So like, but with characters. Oh, of color. I love I just, this. I love that. I can just like, I don't have to go through explaining why there's, why there's Afro Latino people in the Victorian ghost story. It's like, it's fine. It's a different universe. Don't worry about it. But um, I'm a big fan <laughs> of writing things. Whenever I write, I love that. to just be a little loophole where I'm like, I don't have to explain. Usually I'm like, drugs or it's time or it's I'm just like there's a reason you don't need to know the reason there's just a reason you're asking too many questions <laughs> just yes. go with it I had a guest when he did time travel and I was like were you ever worried about the mechanics of time travel and they were like no I was like it's just time travel <laughs> I'm it not was. doing like flux capacitors and like time travel it just is what it is and in this it, it is what it is that's been some of the hardest stuff um, is like work when you're working on something like time travel or a multiverse is trying not to think too hard. So much of my agents, my calls with my agents have been like me being like, what about this? What about this? But what about this? Does it make sense of this? And she's like, it's multiverse. That's it. <laughs> Just... 
And that's just, your answer to every interview you ever give about the book. If someone's like, well, how does this multiverse? Don't worry about it. No one's no. asking Marvel these questions. I mean, no one's sat there like, it just is what it is. You know, we just accepted yeah. it as law now. And the same yeah. will come to pass. <laughs> True. But yeah, so that's that's what I'm working on now. So it's kind of a departure from fantasy, which is crazy. I never thought that I would ever leave fantasy. But um, yeah, I want to try something a little bit different. Yeah, it's still got magic in there. You've still yeah. got some magic going on. And that means now for your novel evening, you obviously have a lot of different areas to draw on, I feel like. Yeah, honestly, there's like too much. <laughs> <laughs> I, fe- I feel that. And, that, you know, we've talked a bit about various things you like, but the main thing we have to kick off with is the setting. Because I think that's the most important part, really. Where are we going to go? honestly i feel like this might be disappointing because i miss new york so much i'm just gonna go to a filipino restaurant in new york that closed with a pandemic but we're just gonna revive it for this particular evening it was this amazing spot called jeepney um in the lower east side and like they would do this thing called the kamean feast where the the table would be covered in these beautiful leaves and then they would just layer all of the food, like down to like bones, big bones where you scoop the bone marrow out, ribs, like crab fat, fried rice, spam, longanisa sausages, all these amazing things. They close. I wanted, it makes me upset because I wanted to celebrate my third, my third book there. Oh. I was saving it. I'd never done the Kamehian feast. Oh, and a whole pig, a whole pig. Um, but so I was saving it for this occasion. Oh. And it closed. And I really wish I'd done it for something else, like my birthday or something. Or just gone and just had the whole pig. Sometimes you just got to go. This is a lesson for people to learn. Don't wait for the occasion. Just go and do it. Honestly, seriously, if the pandemic taught us anything, geez, just do. Just do what you want to do. We're going to go there because that doesn't exist anymore. So I can create that for this like novel. I'm so I also I don't think I've ever had Filipino food so this sounds a delight it is so good because it's this this amazing mixture because the Philippines were were colonized by the Spanish too which is so there's a crossover of like Latin and and Asian which is like next level good um it's like the only good thing to come out of colonialism is like the food (laughs) <laughs> the spread of good food to places that usually wouldn't have yeah and the ironic thing is and i speak from the colonizing country that did a lot of this our actual dishes that come from our country not so great <laughs> there's a reason we had to poach recipes from all these other countries because our food is shit so we're like mm, deep fried chips and fish mm, delicious <laughs> baguettes nobody eats those or like haggis or like all yeah. these like d- deep fried meat that we just serve on a plate. No, I do remember. I do wonder if if anyone who who was British read book two, where the colonizing com- co- company, the colonizing country, comes to this magical kingdom, and someone makes a joke that they stole all the spices but didn't use them. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's so accurate. And my my best friend is malay uh by birth she's she's half malay and whenever i make food and i complain that it's spicy she's like <laughs> when you say spice i'm like i mean white spicy this is <laughs> <laughs> we just no yeah honestly there used to be this tiktok thing as well and i think it's gone a lot better in london but that 
like Asian food in London was so bad at one point. Do good, and I think it's gotten a lot, lot better because I think, and I think people have become because of things like TikTok. Yeah, I think we are becoming more experimental with our food. We're willing to try new things. Whereas once upon a time, and I speak as a British person, I'm guilty. We just eat the same thing all the time. I hope it's good because I'm coming. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to go to Europe for the first time next year. <gasps> no way. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be in London first stop for the Taylor Swift concerts. <laughs> so I was like, I'll stop by and go eat some British food and see what's over there. But I hear at the very least you have really good Indian food. So, <laughs> you know what? So Maybe. I haven't eaten there, but Dishoom in London, my friend Dishoom. raves about, is meant to be incredible. Um, and I would like Chinatown has gotten very good in London. There's some excellent. <laughs> my friend recommends for Malay food, Rasa Sayang in london for malay food i'll hit you up i'll i'll head over before the taylor swift concert i'll take you some places <laughs> no i'll i'll dm you it's fine dm me you'll be like i don't know if i should trust this girl and her tastes and what she said but i i have it on good authority for people with much better taste buds than me okay, okay. a stronger palate than i have that the food oh, is very good i'm such a foodie like i just for to celebrate my finishing my series I went to I was in Japan for a month from August to September um and all I did was just eat amazing like <laughs> I'm so I'm awesome I would like to say me and my husband are one thing we share in common is eating I just love to try things I love to eat going to Japan is like up there I want to go to this restaurant that you're describing and I'm so upset and there's oh. no way I'm going to New York anytime soon but I'm like <laughs> well if you do then you should dm me because I know everything <laughs> I absolutely shall. That is, I'm going to remember that. Do the same for London. I will have to ask some other people, but I will provide. So we're going to go to this little restaurant. We're going to have our, what was it called? The Kamean Feast. I'll send you a picture. Oh, please do. I would like to see this. So we're going to go and have the Kamean Feast. Who's the first person who's going to join us? I feel like this is someone you probably get all the time, particularly, especially because this is a British podcast. (laughs) But... Howl from Howl's Moving Castle is no. Do you know what? I think you're the first. Are you serious? Nobody. You are the first person to ever have Howl. Really? In a hundred, you're the hundred and fiftieth episode I've recorded. You're the first Howl. That's mind blowing to me. I think we've had the castle as a setting, but I don't think we've had any characters. I didn't even think about the castle as a setting. Maybe we've (laughs) had the author as well. We might have had the author, but we've never had any characters. I don't believe. Okay, yeah, I definitely want Howl, like just like a fabulous wizard. I just love like, I love that book so much because it also felt like it, um, oh, well, story time. I, in college, I really wanted to write and I didn't know if I was going to be a good writer or not. And I went to an English department book sale where there were books for like $5, $1, $2. I picked up a Diane Wynne Jones book and inside it was signed by her. And there was a 1990s map of the London tube because it was signed in 1990. Um, and I was so like, cool. Yeah. I was like, this is a sign. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to be able to be an author one day. Uh, and it worked out. Um, but yeah, I love that book series so much. I love the animated version of it too, but the book, the book is better to me than the animated movie, but I love that Howell is like, he kind of like, deflects the toxic masculinity vibes that we get with a lot yeah. of males 
He's super emotional. He's really into his looks. He's dyeing his hair. He's he's wearing flamboyant colors, but he still gets every girl. Like yep. all these things that are considered like feminine or like, oh, is he like considered feminine or either a gay character, which is just like a weird way to pigeonhole yeah. men. It's like just because he likes bright colors and perfume and stuff like that. But I love that. He for just him. likes to look good and smell good. Have nice hair. But yeah, he likes to wear bright colors. He likes to turn up, and go out. Like, yeah. why not? Um, but yes, I he would look great swanning into this place as well. He like, would. he would. Um, I just feel like he would just bring the drama. He would just bring like the energy. Okay. Um, it's a good first choice. It's a hard act to follow, though. You've gone right in there, like hard. Yeah, I probably should have saved him for last. <laughs> Well, he's just, first. He's in. So this is quite intimidating for whoever your next guest is because they're just going to come into this like plate of food, this huge table of food and a howl. It could just be me and him, to be honest. That, that might be enough. I'll just work the bar or something. This is probably the best way. I'll be like, they have doing? really good mocktails over there. I miss that place, man. Um, I'm so sorry. I could have hear like the nostalgia in your voice. It's fine. Um, this is I'm trying to think of characters also that people don't like know. Like Howell is like the starter. Everybody knows who they are. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of this graphic novel series called Saga. Oh. And it's this amazing graphic novel series. It's super, super popular in the graphic novel community, but it's like two people from different alien races and their 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 countries are at war and they're told they're too different to get along, but then they fall in love and have a child. And oh. their their governments are chasing them down because if anybody knows that their two species are close enough to be able to to have, have yeah, and the war ends and all the money they're making off the war ends and all this stuff. So it's like this really amazing story about kind of like a refugee story, but like through space. Yeah. Um, the story I don't know if you can see it, but it's like they're holding a baby, right? I mean. The outfits and she's breastfeeding. Absolutely here for yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Iconic. So like his species, Marco, who's super fine, is like the horns, and her yeah. species has the wings. And their baby is born with both. So the book, the series is is narrated by their daughter, the baby. Oh, also they both look fabulous. So how would yeah. approve? Yeah, no, they would. They would definitely come through. So I would. I would have. I think I would have the two of them. The girl, the woman is Lana, and the man is Marco. Um, come. Just like such an, it's such a cool story and such a cool allegory for the refugee and the immigrant experience. And then also like anti-war, anti all that stuff that we want to be anti. So like, I would suggest if anyone wants to get into graphic novels, like this is a really good one. I'm going to um, check it out because I haven't bought graphic novels in such a long time and I used to love them. So I will check it out. There's like nine volumes at this point. So there's oh, enough. Oh, cool. I think it finishes next year. And like, I will say it's adult. It is adult. Okay. So okay. <laughs> listening, um, don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> I will get in trouble with your mom. Um, but it's really, really good. Um, right. And then I don't know if you've, if you've read this one. It's called The Golem and the Ginny. Oh, no. So I am a child. So I was attracted at first because it has color tip pages and you really 
in the adult section, you rarely see color tip pages. And since my magic system is color-based, like it was a dream to be like, I want color tip pages, but that didn't happen. You know, in the UK, I feel like we have a lot of adult. I feel like we really have picked up heavy on the sprayed edges, spredges, we call them. Yes, you have. Because every time we'd work with, um, when I was at Random House, every time we'd work with the UK and we get copies of the UK version, it always have sprayed edges. I was like, why don't we do this? But you guys are so much more fun and whimsical. We're so corporate over here. <laughs> also, like we figured out we will buy that. We don't even care what the book is. If the That's edge is spray, we're buying it. Exactly. That's why, like, yeah. Like I had fairy loot editions and they have sprayed edges, and that made yeah. me so happy. The US uh, needs to step up this game because they're missing a trick. They only save it for the for like like I, I know Six of Crows had it. Like that's pretty much the only <laughs> thing that I know where it was like the the initial version had it. It's like had that. But yeah. anyway. So this book, um, I studied abroad in China for a year and I came back. This is the first book I picked up at the Barnes and Noble. And I did not expect to love it because it was the in the adult section and I was 21. So I still only read YA <laughs> and I didn't consider myself an adult. Um, but it's about, it takes place in turn of the century, New York, 1899. Ooh. And a metalsmith is fixing like is this old bottle and a genie comes out of it who's been trapped in human form he's been trapped in that bottle for like thousands of years and of course he's like really hot um <laughs> and at the same time i don't know if you know much about jewish mythology um you know what a golem is yes i do um i also know that because i've played diablo um so i've, I've done <laughs> I have, as a result i've decided to read up about them and i think as well uh the catherine arden books feature yeah, yeah, yeah. that. yeah so basically there is a man coming i forget which country in eastern europe to america and he's not a good dude so he has someone create a golem to be his wife so a woman made out of stone he dies of appendicitis on the boat well, so this so yeah and i was like great we don't we don't cool. like him go um golems are created to obey their master and that was her master oh. so she no longer and she's like a newborn in an adult body so she she has no sense of how life should work but because she's a golem she hears everybody's desires around her all the time if you don't have a master you hear ev yeah. what everybody wants and it's this great allegory for like being a woman and wanting and being trained and socialized to constantly be catering to other people. Yeah. Hearing other people's desires more than you can hear your own. Um, whereas to the genie guy, Ahmad, genies are these creatures of desire and fire and passion and sex. And he's trapped in human form, but he's running around doing whatever he wants to do. <laughs> in terms I of see where this is going. <laughs> and, um, and of course, they're both like confused as to why they are where they are and like being being the only mythological creatures. And of course, they cross paths. And she's a creature of earth and stone, and he's a creature of fire and air. And of course, she's a creature of obedience, and he's a creature of just passion. And they meet, and like this amazing story unfolds. Um, it's one of my, I think to this day, it's still my probably my favorite adult book. Um, and it's made me want to write something turn of the century New York, but it's such a beautiful story, and like. The author, I think it really touched me because the author is Jewish and her husband is Middle Eastern. And oh. she wants to be where their two cultures, where the mythologies of their two cultures could come together. Um that's very so, romantic. Isn't it? Um, but yeah, it's such a it's such a great book. And so I would have 
the two of them come to at least Hava is the girl's name. She would like balance it out because everybody else is kind of Marco. You know what? Marco, the, the alien guy with the ram horns, yeah. so he and Hava could balance it out. But Alana and Howell and Ahmad would all be crazy. Um, <laughs> that's that's okay. fun though. You need you need different personalities. I feel like this is working. Do you have anyone else that's going to join the mix, or is that kind of your your group? I feel like if I'm going to throw in like one classic fantasy white man fantasy, um, probably Lyra from the Golden Compass, um, Philip Pullman. That. I mean, Philip Pullman, I mean, I do have a real soft spot for the Golden Compass. Yeah. And I think the story that was woven within that was very clever. It was and very, very complicated. <laughs> But like yeah. she feels like she would fit in in this table of kind of like wizards and like travelers and adventurers. Um, she wouldn't be phased at all, I don't think, by what's happening at the table. She's already jumping from world to world, so like this would mean nothing. And I guess so. Howell has too. He's seen multiple. Worlds. All of them are kind of like that. I would say again, that's kind of a multiverse thing going on that I didn't really. Yeah, I didn't about. realize that. I really didn't realize. Philip <laughs> Pullman, way before yeah. Marvel. Wow, that is multiverse pre multiverse multiverse. Interesting. Wow, but yeah, I would so like if anyone's looking for like this book came out the longest and it took nine years for the sequel to come out and I waited faithfully. But the Golem and the Ginny is great, really beautiful writing. I opposites track energy like as is clear by my check that out. I don't think nine years. I mean, I'm still waiting. Again, this is very much white man's <laughs> white man's fancy. I'm still waiting for Name of the Wind. The third oh book come out. It will never happen. No, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I no longer trust middle-aged white male authors. George R. R. Martin, Patrick Rothfuss. It's not going to happen. That's not happening. I saw him at Random House once, and I was like, "Who is this Santa-esque man that everybody's surrounding?" Which one was this, George R. R. Martin or Because they they published Game of Thrones. Oh, and... I'd be like, "Excuse me, could you stop writing novellas and just..." get on with the book thanks no one wants to read a prequel okay no we are though and everybody was like that's george r, r. martin i was like oh <laughs> yeah 24 year old maya was not in the loop <laughs> but like, okay cool i was like but also and yeah if anyone's looking for graphic novels saga is really really good again adult but really really good you've added to my list here massively so i will absolutely dive into this i love this evening and this feels like a good mix so i guess the question is who is not welcome anyone from twilight <laughs> anyone from twilight is not welcome no that's so miserable so miserable and also it would just make me cringe about myself because I have such a strong memory like I am very critical of the writing style and the messaging of Twilight like I had a I had a public speaking class that was required in college and my argumentative 15 minute speech was about how bad Twilight is and I got an A so yeah. <laughs> I literally listed how many times she thinks about Edward and it was like 300 times like I well, went through so that. much. I didn't realize like Jasper was like a Confederate soldier, right? Yes, and nobody even anything. Nobody blinks. But I was like, maybe that's accurate. Maybe like for maybe Bella doesn't care. I don't know. Like There's if no Bella to it. Black, I mean, I'm English, and I was like, like if Bella were black, 
then I guess maybe it'd be like, yo, what? <laughs> maybe Bella's not, doesn't care. I don't know. I but... mean, it's, well, it's a lot of white people in that book. And also, I mean, there's very heavy Mormon messaging going through there as well about like no sex before oh marriage. Goodness. And there's a lot there. Yeah. And like, even if the baby is murdering you, you better, you better have that baby. But It's very I... subtly done though. I was... It's extremely subtly done. And I, even though I owe it my obsession with tall men with dark hair because I was team Jacob 100%. And still oh, am. no, I was Edward, which is probably doesn't say very good things about me. But I, it would make me cringe because, like, I remember I truly, now from a, someone who's worked in publishing, I know that Twilight was a game changer and, and why it was. You can still critique it and still also give it the credit, its credit where it's due, but also still critique it for. The writing, the messaging, the cultural appropriation. Like they're doing a TV show reboot and I have no idea how they're going to do that without like, yeah. I did not know that. They're doing it. And I'm like, are you going to have Jacob Black played by an actual Native American man now instead of Taylor Lott? Just he's very tanned. Just a tanned white dude. Just why not? Um, But basically I remember, I have a specific memory of walking into my middle school library. Like I believe I was in the seventh grade. And across the room, I saw the book, the the black cover, the hands, yep. the apple. Yeah, I was like, cool cover. And I immediately, and I had no, there was no marketing. I had no idea what it was. So even just Twilight changed the way young adult covers were. All of a sudden, everybody had that kind of cover. Yeah. Um. So it was such a. I will give it the credit of being the game changer that it was. It took really big advantage of the Harry Potter vacuum that that oh, happened. Completely. As you, I feel a bit like that. So like again please don't judge me but like 50 shades of gray hated sorry horrific <laughs> and no 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 i do not horrific book terrible book so bad i tried to read the first one and i was like i actually think you know a child could do better than this probably not in the same genre but the as in the <laughs> style but horrendous yeah. plot terrible but it opened a door for women to be able to buy and read erotica in public yeah. in, especially here like grandmothers were sat on the bus reading 50 shades of gray so even though it was absolutely horrendous it did mean that women were becoming way more comfortable with being able to read books that were a bit spicy or a bit in a way that we never i mean i don't remember anyone i knew openly admitting like yeah i read erotica i love a spicy book and now it's everywhere and people don't care they just read it it's true so it's like just because something's a game changer doesn't mean it was good (laughs) (laughs) that is the lesson we need to learn here it's a lesson but like i wouldn't be able to invite any of them because i'd be so embarrassed by the time i was in high school i had switched sides and been like this is anti-feminist like i was militantly like hating twilight but i would think of like maya from like age 12 to like age like 15 who like loved it so if i saw any of them a they'd be boring god bella's so boring they're all so boring and angsty just unnecessarily angsty they can't even eat anything. They're angsty. Edward is also pretty boring. So. They're all very dull. I remember thinking that. I'm like, none of you seem like a lot of fun at parties. Yeah, you want to live forever around each other. Why? I don't know. But like, yeah. So anyone- And then there's the weird baby imprinting thing that I have never gone over. Did he marry the baby? Obviously, when she was older, but didn't they marry? I mean, at some point in the future, they would, I suppose- but when she talks about that like she talks about it like it was the greatest masterpiece ever written she was like yeah then I made Jacob fall in love with a baby (laughs) it's like why would you think this was smart but she really did 
And what I love is that no, like the editor wasn't like, hmm, is this a good idea? At that point, she had too much power. Yeah, that's a- very true. Well, that's like no- L. James when she did the when they did the movie version. How was she allowed that, that much power into the screenplay? So bad. The movies were so embarrassing. Just the whole thing. But honestly, anything from my like any big movies from my teen series from my teen years, like I don't want anyone from the Hunger Games either. It's gonna detergent. Embarrass- <laughs> detergent, yeah, what I would call it. But <laughs> Everybody from those like those eras, like I can't have you. Um, you're all the worst. <laughs> I put. Do you know what? That is a beautiful way to sum up that that evening. You've got a really good mix here of very interesting, vibrant, fun characters. We don't need the Cullens. <laughs> no, we really don't. Involved at all. And before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your day, I have to ask if you're reading anything currently. Yeah, I just started reading Yellow Face by R.F. Plong. Oh. Which I'm trying to read, like, because I read so much fantasy that I was like, I want to read something that takes place in the real world and that is shorter. Yes. Uh, so that brain compressed. But just, like, a really cool story about, about cultural appropriation. Like, I don't know if you've heard of it, but... I definitely, only- it's everywhere. I haven't read it yet, but I know that it's it's really made yeah. an impact. Yeah, I've only, and also, like, I'm such a... I'm such an admirer of authors who can jump genres, which is like what I'm trying to do right now. So to go from like poppy war to be able to write something really, really effective and powerful in the the real world. I'm so intimidated by her. Like every time I look her up and it's like, they went to these amazing Ivy League famous schools and are very, very smart. And I'm like, if we spoke, she would think I was a fool. <laughs> no! I mean, you were like, yeah, I studied in China. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're thinking of the wrong person right now. <laughs> You're like, oh, I went to Japan. I lived in New York. I'm like, yeah. But there's I definitely... absolutely relate. <laughs> I definitely like she, I think because of, I haven't read the Babel series, Tower of Babel series that she's done. I think that that to me seems too highbrow for me. Whenever people talk about that, I'm, I'm like, scared. that looks too smart for me. I'm very scared. But when it comes to like even my own books, like I really wanted to focus on like link like linguistics and like yeah. like not to go back. Sorry, we're on the topic of no me, no 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 no. Like when I went to China and I was I was a Chinese minor in school and I was there for a year to learn Chinese. And at one point, our teacher was talking about how some people don't want to write in Chinese characters; they want to write it phonetically with with English letters, like um because it's easier. So you would say you would write N I H A O instead of Nihao with the characters. Right. And of course, 20 year old Maya was like, hell yeah, I don't want to hear these characters. Um, and she was like, but after the great leap forward and everything that Mao Zedong and his regime destroyed, she was like, a lot of the temples you guys have visited are replicas. A lot of the things you've seen are replicas. But the only thing that remains untouched and completely connected to our past and our ancestry is our language, our written language. Um, Ooh, that's so like that. Yeah. Yeah. It gave me such like perspective on like how there's so few things and cultures that we get to hold on to. Like, I don't know the indigenous languages of the DR. They were wiped out. Like the best I have is Spanish. Um, but it made me want to focus on on bringing this idea of like linguistics and your the your ancestral languages and holding on to that. And I feel like it seems like RF Kuang is big on that. And I tried to focus on, I think at least 
for book one, it's a focus where Alfie is is academic and wealthy. So he is really good at linguistics, linguistic um, magic, whereas Finn doesn't have that training because she's poor. So she right. does elemental magic, which is visceral. So this idea of education and magic and who has access and who doesn't. Um, but like layering those sorts of things, layering those sorts of ideas about culture, language, access. Um, I feel like it sounds like R.F. Kuang has a lot of that stuff in her fantasies. So I'm like, I want to read it, but I'm scared. So I think I'm, that's why I probably I'm starting with Yellow Face because it's, it's, it's in the real world. So I feel less intimidated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just like, I think fantasy is such a rich, interesting area where we can really tackle, like talking about that sounds like a little nerdy or like it might seem like, um, intimidating for someone to to just talk about, but if it's, if it's like folded into fantasy, yeah. so much easier to, to talk about and like, yeah. So yeah. So I'm reading Yellow Face by RF Kuang and that is what I'm on right now amazing well look thank you this has been honestly so so much fun i have loved talking to you i wish you all the best with book three and with your multiverse project i cannot wait uh and i will keep my eyes peeled on boxing day for your latest (laughs) book maya thank you so so much you're welcome thank you for having me this has been really fun this is like my first podcast this is really fun Thank you for listening to this episode of A Novel Evening. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Please remember to go over and rate, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on Instagram at A Novel Evening Podcast and over on TikTok under the same name and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.